All right, I already mentioned that we're not live streaming the service, but this is going to be the official sermon recording for our audio part, so that part is live. Uh, how's it feel to be back and to sing together? How many of you have been singing at home with your family or by yourself? Maybe you felt a little awkward doing that. Uh, and it's nice to be here and to be able to sing together. And I want to start, like I did in the last service, by thanking everybody that continued to join us online over the last two and a half months. Uh, some of that was, was basically we were just kind of figuring it out as we go. Um, we, we really had no other choice other than to offer online only. So thank you for continuing to support us through that. There were the first six weeks, I basically preached to eight people, uh, Tony, some mic singers, an elder, and a sound room operator, and, and Jerry was here, about eight or nine people. And that's awkward to preach, with, and you ignore the people in the room and look at a camera. So I am thankful to be back here and to be able to see people. And in the last few five weeks, I've, I've just preached to my iPhone, so at least there's more in the room today. It may not feel like a lot to you, but compared to what I've experienced the last two and a half months, it's good to be here. So I'm going to start with this question. I think it's an important question, but I think I already know the answer to it. And, and we have uh, just enough people where you feel free to blur the answer out loud if you want to. But how many of you, because of quarantine, because of social distancing and staying home over these last two and a half months, uh, how many of you have had to miss out on something that you normally love to do? Anybody? Okay. How many of you have had something canceled that, that is important to you, but it was canceled because of all this? Anybody? I'm sure all of us have experienced that, and because today we called it Senior Sunday, and uh, we wanted to kind of honor our seniors, they had to miss out on the end of their senior year. They went home for spring break. And they never got to come back. So they didn't get to see their friends again. They didn't get to wrap up the school year. They didn't get to finish their sports or extracurricular activities. They basically went for spring break and then uh, they were done. I, I know some schools have had uh, some graduation ceremonies, but that's been about it. So today was Senior Sunday, and the focus was to try to honor our seniors. And the sermon that I have prepared is was specifically designed for seniors in mind or a special emphasis on them. However, you know, most of the seniors were at the first service, and so the way that I designed this lesson was uh, hopefully it appeals to everybody and not just the seniors. So if you want to follow along, Deuteronomy chapter 8 will be the first uh, passage we'll look at here in just a minute. Now, because everything was canceled uh, about a month ago, you know, I went to ACU for my undergrad and I follow ACU online, and, and I noticed that some of the professors were making videos for the seniors who uh, were graduating but didn't get a chance to have a graduation ceremony. And there's a professor named Randy Harris who uh, you've probably mentioned, you've heard me mention his name several times. He's, he's served in a teaching role, kind of a mentor role in my life. He made a short two-minute video for the seniors. And what he did in this video was he shared a prayer for the seniors. And when I heard this prayer, it really resonated with me. Uh, I felt like it was very powerful, and I thought right away that would be a good prayer to kind of copy and adapt a little bit for our own seniors. And so I'm going to share that prayer with you in just a second, but I, I want to encourage you to think, even if you're not a senior, that I believe this prayer has some depth to it and applies to everyone, to all Christians. So Randy started his 
his opening words, and he said that the temptation in times like these is to wish you nothing but good things. And that's kind of how we pray anyways. And he said, but that would be short-sighted. So here was his prayers, a four-line prayer, and he, he prayed these words. I pray that in the days ahead, you will have enough success to make you joyful and big-hearted and confident. I pray that you will have enough failure to keep you humble, to make you compassionate, and to make you sympathetic. I pray that you will have enough of the cross of Christ so that you will not use your power to lord it over others, but will respond to others with service and forgiveness. And that last line, he said, I pray that the resurrection power will work in every area of your life so that you will live in this hope that when all the powers of darkness have done their worst, that God overcomes them all with his relentless love. And then he ended that prayer by saying, so I pray that God will bless you. Now, I was immediately drawn to this prayer because I felt like it was, first of all, it was powerful for those who are graduating and getting ready to transition on into something else. But I like it because it encompasses everything. This prayer is not just feel-good stuff like, hey, live, laugh, love, be happy, hope you get rich and have a great, healthy life. No, he's including in this prayer there's going to be some tough things in life ahead. And so for the next few minutes, I just want to go through each line of this prayer and talk about what it means as it applies to us as followers of Jesus. In the first part of this prayer, he says, I pray that you have enough success. I think he really was intentional with the words that he chose in this prayer. Enough success so that you'll be joyful, confident, and big-hearted towards others. Now, when you think about life and, and some of the things that maybe you've accomplished in your own life and the things that you've put a lot of hard work into, uh, especially because it's Senior Sunday, I was thinking about you know, graduating high school, college, working on a master's degree. Some of you go on and you get a doctorate or maybe you get certified in something. Normally what we do when we graduate is we receive what? Only one person in the last service, a diploma. What do we do with those? We normally frame them. And for preachers or for whatever profession you're in, you might take those and put them on your wall in your office. Or I mentioned, you know, that my wife has hers framed and it sits in her closet somewhere. For the most part, though, we're proud of it. We hang it up because that shows that we put a lot of hard work into something and it was successful. It paid off. It's the same concept when you apply for a job. Usually, what do you send in to your potential future employer if you're applying for a job? Not just an application, but a resume. What do we put on our resume? We put our education. We put uh, our experiences, and we put on a resume um, the things that we've done, our successes, things that we've accomplished. About three and a half years ago, when I was first contacted about whether or not to apply for the preaching job here at this church, I knew I had to polish up my resume. So I threw stuff on there, and I sent it off to a friend of mine who's in the business world, and I asked him to edit it for me, and about a day later, he sent the resume back and he had completely gutted everything, and he said, you need to reword all of it. And when you put the bullet points, what you need to put on there are the things that you've accomplished in, in your time of ministry so far, the things that you're proud of, and the things that you would want them to ask you about, like a hook. They read it, and they say, tell me more about this. So basically, when we make a resume, when we're applying for a job, we kind of have to brag about ourselves. 
things that we've accomplished, things that have been successful in our lives, and hopefully we do that in a humble Christian way, but you think about a diploma or a degree or what you put on a resume or other things that you've done in life, like God gives us, I believe, little rewards like this to give us satisfaction to know that our hard work will pay off and there's success in that, even in small ways. Uh, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with doing yard work, but every time when I mow the lawn, and it's really hot and it can be hard, I have a push mower and our backyard has some long hills and uh, it's hard work, but at the end of the day, I look over the yard or the next morning and I look at it with a sense of satisfaction, like that was a success. And I almost feel as proud of the yard as I do the degrees that I've earned because it, it's a lot of physical labor. Whatever it may be, small things, big things, that we can feel success and we can feel that sense of satisfaction that God gives us these times. But there's a temptation in that, and the temptation is to become prideful or conceited. So the passage that I'm starting with here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18 This is when the Israelites were getting ready to enter into the promised land, which God was giving them, and they were about to receive a lot of good things. And then God says these words to the Israelites, which sort of serves as a warning. He said, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. The temptation when we experience success in life, the temptation is to become prideful or to look, look at how good I am, look at how hard I worked and what I've earned for myself. But this passage reminds us that, first of all, it's God that gives us the ability to even work and have success in life. So it's God who deserves the credit. So you take that first line in Randy Harris's prayer I pray that you'll have enough success because God gives us these times so that we can be confident in what we're doing, have joy, right, and be big-hearted towards others. And the second line of his prayer, he says, I I pray that you have enough failure so that you will be humble, you'll be compassionate and sympathetic towards others. I think this is a strange thing to pray for, and I would consider this the paradoxical part of the prayer. How often have you prayed to fail? Anybody? Have you ever said, God, give me some failure to keep me humble? Have you ever prayed that for your kids? I know that's not something I pray for for myself or for my kids very often. So I thought it was interesting that he included this in his prayer. But I think there's a lot of truth to it because when it comes to failure, we grow not just through our successes, we grow not just through uh, the things that we feel we're rewarded for, but we, we grow through our failure and how we respond to that failure. And the chances are we've all failed at things from time to time. When it comes to ministry, I'll use my own life as an example, but there's been plenty of times where if I have to initiate something, a new ministry or an idea or even a sermon, there's a little bit of risk involved. And the risk is people may not respond, it may not work, and if that happens, you may embarrass yourself and it will feel like a failure. And there have been plenty of times in my career so far where I felt like a failure or I preached a sermon that flopped, and I guess you just kind of have to keep going. I often give myself this pep talk, you know, using a baseball analogy, is for one, we don't always hit a home run and we don't always get things right. 
But if I'm going to fail, if I'm going to strike out, I would rather strike out swinging than looking. I would rather at least attempt to hit the ball than to just watch it go past me. A few years ago, probably five or six years ago, when I was working in Mount Pleasant, Texas, uh, at a church there, I had this idea for an outreach program that I thought was going to work. Many of you have probably been on Let's Start Talking trips overseas, or at least you're familiar with it. It's a way to teach people English that desire to learn English using a conversational English, but you use the Bible as your curriculum. Well, there's a domestic version of that for the U.S. called Friends Speak. And I had this vision in mind, this grand idea that we were going to launch this through our church into our community, and there's so many people that desire to learn English that they're going to flock to our church building, and all of our members are going to volunteer for it, and we're going to be able to be, you know, start building these relationships with people and then eventually baptize them, and it was just going to be this great ministry that was going to take root. And I put a lot of time and money and effort and energy into it, and we got it started, and then... Within a few weeks, it was already starting to fizzle. And then within a few months, it was pretty much non-existent. That was a failure. It was, I was disappointed. I put a lot, of, a lot of time and effort into something th- that I failed at. And so the way I see that, the way I see failures, there's kind of two options. One is that we can pout. We can become bitter. We can freeze up and then never take a risk again. Or we can pause, collect ourselves, and then press forward and keep trying, and we can learn and grow from our failures. And if I did a whole sermon on failure, there's a lot of examples that I could use at other times where I've failed or felt like a failure. But it's not that you as a human being are a failure. It's just that we're going to try things in life, and it may not always work out. We may not always do the right thing, and we're going to experience failure. And that's common, especially in the New Testament. If you read through uh, Paul's life and teachings, if you read through the, the book of Acts, you read through Paul's letters, you will see that there were plenty of setbacks, there were plenty of trials and persecutions that Paul went through. And in the eyes of the world, those would seem like failures. In fact, four of Paul's letters he wrote from a prison cell, which again, from the eyes of the world, that would seem like a failure. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which is the next passage I'm about to read for us, it'll be on the PowerPoint, uh, Paul had something that he called a thorn in his side or a thorn in his flesh. And we don't really know what that was, but in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about how that thorn was there to keep him from becoming too prideful. But he didn't want it there, so we were told that Paul prayed for this thorn to be removed. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 through 10, Paul writes this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't know what Paul's thorn in his flesh was, and I think that's brilliant. I think Paul was led by the Holy Spirit, and he intentionally did not tell us what that thorn in the flesh was because, in a way, we, can, we always speculate what it may be, but we can identify with Paul's struggles and his weaknesses and his hardships and what seems like failure. 
And when Paul asked for that to be removed from his life, he didn't get the answer that he wanted and that what I want so often, but the answer he got was a word from God, which God said, my, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. So there is a purpose in failure. There's something to learn from that. And I'm glad that Randy included this in his prayer. He prays first for for you to be successful, have enough success so that you be confident and joyful and big-hearted towards others, but enough failure to keep you humble, enough failure to keep you compassionate and sympathetic towards others. And then the third line of this prayer is he, he pray, says, I pray that you'll have enough of the cross so that you will be a servant, always a servant, and then always offer forgiveness and extend forgiveness to others. Uh, often in Jesus' ministry, his disciples would argue about which one of them is the greatest. And in, an example I put on the PowerPoint here is Matthew 19, 25 through 28. His disciples were arguing about this, and then Jesus basically tells his disciples, if you want to become great, you need to be what? A servant. Become the least. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. When Jesus started telling his disciples, hey, we're on our way to Jerusalem. When we get there, I'm going to be rejected and killed and die on a cross. The disciples rejected that message. Peter rejected that message. And it took a while for Jesus to steer them in the direction of the purpose of the cross. And we always need the cross before us in our own lives. Uh, Here's a little something special that I didn't share with the first service, but uh, I was thinking about this movie, Friday Night Lights. It came out, I think, in 2004. I think I saw it a long time ago, and I, I really don't remember a lot about it, but the, the movie was based on Odessa, Texas, Permian High School, their high school football team. It was based on the 1988 season. And if you've seen the movie or are familiar with this, uh, there's a lot of drama that goes on, and it builds and builds to the playoffs, and I think they got to the semifinals, and they lost. They didn't even make it to the state championship. So it made for an interesting story, but normally you would expect a movie like that to end with success, to end with state championship. We're champions. Instead, it ended with them losing. And the interesting thing about this is that high school has won several state championships, and they won a state championship the very next year. So they chose to make a movie not about the year where they won the championship, but to make a movie about the year where they failed at their final goal, which I find that really interesting, and I thought of that when I was thinking of this prayer that Randy Harris has to offer. And when it comes to the cross of Christ, is it for the disciples, especially at the time, and for for most of us, even still maybe with our actions, we feel like that's maybe not the best plan. Why not show the the great success, but you can't get to the resurrection unless you go through the cross. And so we always need to keep the cross at the center of who we are and what we do. And if we have enough of the cross in our lives, we will always live as servants and extend forgiveness. And the last part of this prayer, he says, "I, I pray that you'll have the resurrection power working throughout all that you do. So when the powers of darkness are at their worst, you will know that God's relentless love will overcome them all. We know that Jesus didn't stay in that tomb 
And on the third day, He resurrected. And it's because of that resurrection that we're here today. And so the part of that prayer is that we have the cross with us and before us, and we also have the resurrection power always working within us. Living in hope that God can overcome even the worst of circumstances. The last passage I want to share with you comes from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. And I think what Paul writes here in Philippians 3 is very similar to this prayer from Randy Harris that I've been telling you about this morning. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and to participate in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So I'll share this prayer with you today, and it's my prayer for all of us as followers of Christ, not just for seniors, is that you will have enough success to keep you confident, to give you joy and big-hearted towards others, but you'll have enough failure to keep you humble and sympathetic and compassionate. You'll have enough of the cross so that you will always extend love and forgiveness and grace and live as a servant and you have enough of the resurrection power working within you that we live with hope knowing that God will overcome. And that's my prayer for this church as well. As we re-enter life, as we reopen, there will be times where it seems like what we do may seem successful or it may seem like a failure, but may the cross and the resurrection always be at the center of what we do and why we do it. This morning, if you've come brokenhearted, if you've come struggling, if you need prayers, I know we have a few of our shepherds here today, or I'm available to you if you need to pray. If anybody wants to put on Christ in baptism, this baptistry has been put to work several times over the last few months, and we could arrange that for you as well. Uh, Tony's going to come back up here and lead us in another song, and then we'll hear a word from Leonard uh, as we close out today. And Thank you for being here, and let's stand and sing. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Let the blind say, I can see.